Hello, America. Welcome to Your Leon Nation. I am the Chief Mark Garrett. Uh, we are once again here in the place where we believe in the rule of law, a civil society, and self-responsibility. We have an amazing guest today. I mean that, and uh, you'll know why here in a minute. You know, we had probably last year, I think, 150 or so blind and duty deaths of uh, men and women across the country who wear the uniform. And behind every single one of those tragic losses is a loved one and our loved ones. And one of those people has been kind enough to join us today, uh, Janine uh, Paredes. Janine, um, I was just talking off air about how impressed I was with you when we met uh, last year, a few months after the loss of your husband, who I will allow you to talk about here pretty soon. Um, just your strength. My my years in law enforcement, I've interacted with way too many people who've lost loved ones in the line of duty. And the way you carried yourself that day uh, and today and all times when we interact, I've seen you on television. It's just amazing. So I want to give you props for being as strong as uh, I would hope to be in such a horrible situation. But we want to talk about your husband. So Janine, your husband was one of two officers who was killed in the line of duty June 14th, 2022. Elmai police officer, actually Elmai police sergeant, uh, Michael Paredes and uh, officer uh, uh, Santana was killed in the same incident. So with that said, I just want to turn over to you and you, know, you can give us a little bit of background and just kind of tell us about what happened and uh, what the process has been like. And we'll get into some more dicey stuff as we move along. Yeah, and no, thank you so much for having me on so that I can continue to use this platform to tell my story and to tell Michael's story and um, to use every avenue that we can to fight for change so that we can get back to a place where our streets are safe. Um, this wasn't just, you know, two officers that were killed. These were two fathers that were killed, two husbands that were killed, um, two sons that were killed. Um, this isn't to everyone. This is just two officers that, you know, went to a domestic violence call and, and didn't come home. Um, but to the rest of us, uh, they were our people. Uh, Michael and I both grew up in El Monte. Um, we went to El Monte schools. That's where we met. We met in high school. Uh, we've been together for 24 years. Um, and at 19, Michael started working um, as a cadet at El Monte PD. And at 20 and a half, he went to the academy. Uh, Michael grew up in a really uh, difficult environment. Um, he had gang members in his family. There was addiction issues in his family, drug dealers in his family. Um, and Michael was truly that, that kid that wanted to break that cycle and, um, and make a difference and be the, the one of the family um, who was going to kind of pull them out of that situation. Um, and he really did that. He really made uh, his family really proud. Um, he was always known as the officer's sergeant because hmm. he was very big on police safety. Um, he was huge in the community um, organizing several events for the community, for the kids. He held multiple positions, whether it was 
a position in the detective's office, uh, SRO. Uh, he, he kind of played the field a little bit everywhere. Um, and so he was in his 22nd year. Um, he was acting sergeant that day. And he went to the call with Joseph, uh, Joseph Santana. And the call was a domestic dispute. And unfortunately, things happened very quickly. And both officers did not make it out of the hotel room. Um, I was called by somebody at the station and it's not unusual for me to get calls from the station because I've been a part of this police community for 22 years. Um, so several of the officers are friends of ours. And usually the call sounds like, hey, Janine, nothing's wrong. Like everything's good. Um, sort of like when the school calls you because your kid's sick and they, you know, they want to make sure you don't panic. Um, but the call was different this time. It was, mm -hmm. where are you? Um, and I said, I'm having dinner with a friend. What's wrong? I instantly knew um, just from that reaction um, that something was definitely wrong. Um, and he said, uh, Mikey was shot and I'm coming to get you. Um, he was not working at the time. He lives nearby where I live. So uh, he jumped in his car and he came and got me and my daughter. And my son was at football practice. And he took us to uh, LA USC Medical Center. We didn't have a lot of information because we were getting a lot through via text, but because mm -hmm. everything was actively going on while we were on the drive over, um, we had heard that Michael um, was still breathing when he arrived to the um, police station. Um, but they did a CT scan that said that the brain where he was shot, um, was pretty much inactive. Um, and immediately I went into go mode of, okay, I'm going to have to make sure my house is ready for a wheelchair. I'm going to have to, you know, I just immediately went to this place where, okay, how do I fix our life to accommodate whatever is going on with him? but we didn't originally even know he was shot uh, where he was shot. So on the way there, we're like, maybe it was just the arm. Maybe it was just the leg. Maybe he just got grades. Like we just had no information. So I didn't want to panic my kids. I of course um, was able to text my uh, family members and everyone and friends, letting them know the situation. And it was very quickly on the news. Um, there were already news media there when we arrived at the um, at the hospital. And that was probably one of the most difficult things to navigate um, was this realization as we walked out of the hospital, once my son had arrived, um, there were media trying to put cameras into the car where my son was. He came with my best friend. Um, and when we met him outside of the hospital, it was just media everywhere, photographs, helicopters overhead. Um, and so that was an instant realization that this was a, a very public 
thing. And I had to go straight into protection mode. And, you know, once we were told that he did not make it, it was instantly, okay, now how, who do I need to be to make him proud? How do I now fill the shoes that he has filled his whole life, making everyone around him, his family, his friends, his coworkers proud to, to know him. And I wanted to now be that person for him. And that's where I pull my strength. That's where I suddenly am given this opportunity to say, hey, we've got a, a little bit of an issue here. Um, and this isn't just police related. Well, we're definitely going to gonna get to that. And <laughs> But I, again, I, I just have to sit here and, and listen to your your perspective it's a word that i use a lot and i use it a lot because i try to apply it to myself and i try to tell myself you know what in every situation we all can make a decision about how we're going to react we cannot change circumstances but we damn well have the ability to decide how we're going to respond to those circumstances and listening to you about you said the word you know out of this I say tragedy, it was an evil act. And also try to care, be careful about that. It was <laughs> tragic what happened to Michael and, uh, and to Officer Santana. It's tragic what happened to you, but the act itself was an evil act. But you used the word opportunity. You looked at this as a chance to, to honor your husband to honor Absolutely. the law enforcement community. And I'll tell you right now, this is not an easy thing to do. It's a decision one has to make. You made the decision and my goodness, you continue to exhibit that behavior and in, in that decision. So I just, I just commend you for that. So getting into um, the ramifications of, of this incident, can you walk us through from over time what you learned about the incident itself? Actually, uh, if you can tell us what you know about the detail, how things transpired, what the call was like, what they were responding to exactly, no domestic violence, and then uh, how this resulted in in the loss of life of these two gentlemen, these two right. heroes. So, um, unfortunately, the case is not closed, um, and because we're we're here eight months later, um, and the case, so all the information that. I know has not come directly from the investigators who are investigating the entire situation. So I myself still have a lot of questions. I myself have not um, been debriefed um, on the situation. The El Monte police have not been debriefed on the situation. Um, and so what, what I do know is that the call was made. Um, I don't even know who made the call. Um, Santana and Michael arrived. Uh, the wife who was uh, the person that they were, that they had said had been either stabbed or there was some sort of dispute, um, came out of the hotel room. And then there's a lot of mixed information on what transpired between that point and the un 
timely death of, of, of these men. Um, I do know that once they were shot, the murderer went outside and continued to um, exchange gunfire with El Monte P. Um, meanwhile, officers had arrived and they transported Michael in his vehicle and Joseph in his vehicle to the um, hospital because they felt that that was a faster um, way to get them there. Because obviously, um, you know, paramedics cannot come into this situation. Um, there was still active shooting. Um, you know, it's a crime scene now and just getting um, ambulance um, and medical treatment into that area. So it was um, not a long drive between where they were and the hospital. Um, and so I think they they made the right choice in 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 making that decision. Um, we later, of course, found out that this person has um, a long history with the criminal justice system, um, that his last charge was a felon um, with possession. Um, and there was also and some substance to, issues. To clarify, I do want to try a couple of things in case people don't understand. Um, my understanding is, is that the L.A. County Sheriff's Department is the lead investigator on this shit, right? Correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just um, so people understand, because sometimes maybe the smaller agency, El Monte PD is a smaller agency. They'll bring in a larger right. agency, in this case, the, the County Sheriff's Department to investigate. Of course. And there's the, a conflict of interest. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to suit better uh, when somebody not within the department is the one who's um, heading the investigation so that there's no um, bias or, you know, conflict. Correct. And and here I'll editorialize, you know, just throw my opinion about some things that you're saying. So I want to I want to um, make sure that the listeners and viewers um, who are not familiar with the area here in Southern California, L.A. County, uh, USC Medical Center, like you said, where this incident occurred is really a short drive it's straight off the 10 freeway from mm -hmm. from the shooting scene to um, L.A. County USC Medical Center. By the way, which is a fantastic, fantastic facility for for trauma victims, and those the right place to right. go. And I agree with you; I think it was yeah. the right decision given the circumstances. And finally, you said a felon in possession. We're talking about a felon in possession of a firearm, correct, Janine? Correct. Yeah, and so this goes to the crux of the matter about what we're going to get into here with his record and what should have been done with this animal prior to this incident. So you take it from there. Yeah. So. Um... Grab my little notes here so I get it oh, all please. right. I, I have my rudder right here, so we're good. <laughs> I, I, I strongly believe in uh, making sure you know what you're talking about before you speak because I don't want to give any misinformation. Mm -hmm. um, I want to be confident in the things that I say, so I make sure I do my homework. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Um, I'm just trying to pull it out. <clears throat> so, um, this this murderer, <clears throat> excuse me, um, his his history, his criminal history started back in two thousand nine, 
um, when he stole a car. Um, and from 2009 all the way up until the day of, of his crime with my husband, um, he had about 14 interactions with the justice system. Um, this was a combination of um, lots of drug charges, um, but also we've got a hit and run in there. Burglary, grand theft, resisting arrest, um, driving on suspended or revoked licenses, um, identity theft, um, possession, and then uh, March in March of 2020, um, he was felon in possession of a firearm, and that should have been at minimum his second strike. Um, Possibly three strikes. I'm not exactly sure um, which strikes would have counted towards his strikes had we been in a different uh, system right now. Mm -hmm. um, but he only served 20 days uh, for his possession charge. Um, coming that it should have been his, um, at minimum, his second strike. He should have uh, served at least 80% of the two-year uh, formal sentencing that I believe he was given. Well, we can back up because look, I'm we're we're just going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room, and and, and that is um, the so-called district attorney uh, in LA County here. Um, March of 2020, this guy has at this point the 11 year history with law enforcement with like the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. He certainly should have been in prison at the time of this incident. The incident wouldn't have occurred had he been in prison. But going back before George Gascon, you look at you look at this track record. As bad as Gascon is, this guy didn't serve the amount of time that he should have for lesser offenses leading up to it. This is a culmination, and and this is something that um, the level of frustration, even when I was still on patrol. The, the breakdown in, in, in the, the penalty phase in the criminal justice system was apparent. And this is going back when I was on patrol and certainly after that, but going, let's just say going back 15 years, we mm -hmm. coming, we was, saw it coming. And when you're literally booking people and they're getting out before you can finish the paperwork, and I mean that literally, I would have suspects yes. laughing at me yeah. and on the way out. Or, or see me two days later in the same place where I arrested him, literally. So this is um, a culmination. But but George Gascon and other other people like him across the country have taken this to an entirely new level of disregard for the oath they took. A whole new level. Um, and again, I, I, I don't want to own the time here. I want people to hear from you. You, again, have exhibited, have exhibited strength and leadership and in, in honor in, in your behavior. Can you talk about what steps you've taken, where you are right now in the civil uh, um, justice system in regards to George yeah. Gasco? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we do have, um, we have, filed a uh, suit or we 
we're in the phases of all of this because there's a lot of, uh, it takes a long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but um, we have begun um, and we are in the process. Um, our claim is um, against both the district attorney's office as well as the probation office. The reason the probation office is also included in this is because the probation did not do their job and they were incredibly negligent in following up with him. So from the time that he had this possession charge, there had been report to his probation officer that he was back on drugs, that his affiliation with the gang was back, and that he was being um, physically abusive towards his wife, girlfriend, whatever. Um, and they did not follow up with that. In addition to that, they did not do their monthly one-on-ones with him. They couldn't even find him for three months. There was absolutely no one-on-one -on -one contact with him. The last time they spoke to him was June 2nd, which would be 12 days before everything happened. They told him that he was to meet them in person. And on the 6th, he didn't show up and no one went and got him. So um, the probation office has also failed to do their part as well. We clearly. are, yeah, clearly. We, um, we are really fighting for the idea uh, that the California three-strike law is a requirement by the district attorney's office. It's not an option. They may be able to use their best discretion for non-serious, non-violent crime. However, when you put a gang member who has severe drug issues and a criminal history, that is a recipe for disaster. And if you try to say that you didn't see that coming, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it is, um, uh, well, you summed it up, recipe for disaster. And, and we saw that disaster on June 14th of 2022. Let me ask you this, Janine, and, and we'll continue with this. So I'm going to learn a, a little more about um, the civil proceedings you're, you're engaged in now. And we'll talk about some small victories that that just happened today, a couple small victories. We talked about the probation chief. I want you to talk about that. And I also want to talk about John and Tommy, another rock star in the, the DA's office and um, is doing some great things. But what I certainly have my opinion. People, people know I'm opinionated. That's why I'm uh, dumb enough to have a, uh, uh, a, uh, a podcast here because I like to talk. We lost your image, but we can, still, we can still hear you no problem. I lost all good. your image. I lost your image, so I turned mine off, think, hoping maybe I could get yours back up. Well, listen. By the way, I'm I'm used to uh, I'm used to women actually getting rid of my image whenever they can. So don't don't worry about that. That's normal. My wife does it all the time. So yeah. turns the lights out when I walk in. Uh, smart woman. But let me ask you your opinion about why do you think? What do you think is the motivation? Um, 
behind this on the part of George Gascon and, and other DAs uh, around the country. In other words, to me, this is just breeding anarchy. It's it it could right. not be more apparent to a ten year old that uh, giving this type of leverage, just disregarding the punitive side of the criminal justice system to the extent these people are doing, is literally literally getting countless numbers of people, including police officers, killed. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's, it's not disputable. It's factual. Right. What do you think is behind this? What do you think the motivation, what do you think the goal is of these people in power? Well, I think, I think there's two things. One is, there's two parts to this. One is, like you said, when you have children, you teach them that when you don't behave, there are consequences to your actions. And if you continue to misbehave, those consequences are gonna get more severe. What may start off as taking your cell phone away might turn into your cell phone and your gaming system, and now you're grounded. And this is how we're, we teach our children how to become good citizens in the world. But then there's also that idea that we make mistakes and there should be the idea of rehabilitation or reform. Now, I am all about the idea of rehabilitation and reform. But tell me what they did with this particular situation to rehabilitate or reform this man. They did nothing. They just sent him back out in the world hoping that he didn't do anything. And... If we're going to do reform and we're going to do rehabilitation, then let's do it. Let's do it wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. Let's increase our, our requirements for, you know, drugs and uh, alcoholism, addiction, uh, mental health. All of these things are super, super important in the rehabilitation process. But none of that is being laid out. So they just want to talk about how they're changing the system but they're not actually changing anything. They're just removing the rules, letting people go make more mistakes and hurt more people with no consequences. Well, you said it beautifully and uh, I, you articulated the facts beautifully. Thank uh, you. I have like a, it, it, there's clearly, there's, I, you know, I'm not gonna say there's a conspiracy, but there's certainly a thread of commonality whether it's in Pennsylvania or Maryland or San Francisco, Los Angeles County, you look at the same types of behaviors from these DAs. There is something behind it. Uh, that's probably for their podcasts. I certainly believe that. But again, it's resulting in chaos. It's resulting in a breakdown of a civil society uh, that we harp on here. Listen, law enforcement's job is to ensure civil society. Attorneys, prosecutors, those, their job is to ensure a civil society. Ensure justice is actually, is, is dealt out. Justice, right. care. Right. Justice should be blind. And the only blind person here is George Gascon because he cannot read the manual about how to be a DA as far as I'm concerned. So getting on to uh, a couple of recent victories, you talked about probation. And before we went on air, he talked about actually, did it happen today? You should inform me. Yeah. I, I didn't know about this. Please tell so the believe, audience about this. I believe that, um, I have it right here. Let me just 
Don't worry, I'm wrangling my notes up too. Gonna <laughs> get the exact information. Um, so technically, um, he was fired on Tuesday, so yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. but the press uh made it public today. Um, they gave him the opportunity to resign. Um, he did not. Uh, his name is Adolfo Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. And he and just, is the, and for the audience. Oh, go ahead. His title. Go ahead. Los Angeles County Probation Department Chief. Mm -hmm. um, the Board of Supervisors uh, voted uh, for his firing um, after a long list of things that uh, are clearly broken within the probation system. Um So it says that uh, they said that it's the first step of a long road to fixing juvenile halls and supporting the youth. So they're using um, some specific situation that occurred um, in which he had dealing with something uh, involving juveniles. And I think that was just kind of the final straw for them. Mm -hmm. It was something that they couldn't ignore. Now, did, did they articulate? Yeah, or hide. Well, that's. Did they articulate any of the things that we're talking about in there, or do you have that in front of you? Um. Then, if you don't, no, no problem. I'm just curious. It said, um, it says it's no secret our probation department is in crisis and needs strong leadership. I hmm. do not see Gonzalez rising to the challenge on multiple occasions. He lost, he lost what little was left of my support when I visited one of our juvenile halls a few weeks ago. Although I personally that? saw deficiencies and ensured they were communicated to the department, over a week later, nothing had been done, and this is unacceptable. So this was um, one of the board members, I believe that was one of their statements. Uh, the, uh, one of the uh, LA County supervisors or one of the board members from another entity? probation i believe one of the probation, probation board, board members gotcha gotcha well listen any reason he's out is a good reason uh the more the merrier uh, these things need to be articulated uh sunlight is the best disinfectant it's a start this is a start but people like you are fighters i i see it all the time in the show listen be a fighter or if you can't not everybody can then support the fighters and then mm -hmm. we'll talk about a little bit about that so but you are a fighter you have a lawsuit against Gascon, uh, and uh, you are so outspoken on this, Janine. It's fantastic. That's one small victory happened yesterday. We have another victory today we talked about just before we came on, and that was, I'll, I'll grab my notes for you on this one here. <laughs> uh, Los Angeles County jury awarded $1.5 million to a prosecutor as part of a retaliation lawsuit against District Attorney George Gascon, who faces similar complaints in a series of legal actions. So the man is not only uh, uh, completely disregarding his oath to the public and to his office, but he's also a small, insecure turd. I'm being nice here. Um, he, a jury decided that he engages in retaliation. Uh, people stand up to him. They speak their mind and he does not like it, and he exerts his power to make their lives difficult. And today, today, this deputy DA 
won a lawsuit against him. By the way, we do know that this is going to be won in a number of lawsuits uh, uh, in uh, similar to this one. They're lined up against this man. That's um, correct. I want him to be hit with every legal possible uh, uh, tool in the toolbox because we need to do whatever we can, everybody, to pressure this guy to leave office, to make his life as difficult as possible, at least somewhat as difficult as making it for the residents of Los Angeles County. I think it's important to mention also that the three-strike law is one of the directives that he gave, mm -hmm. which was determined to already be illegal. And again, this was like 10 days before Michael was killed. A judge said, you do not have the authority to make that decision. And he went on television and told the media that he was going to pump his brakes on his changed three-strike policy. And all of these deputy district attorneys who are now suing him are saying, you did not let us do our job. Mm -hmm. You forced us to do illegal things because of your directive. Well, this is exactly right. Put them in, put them in a position where their only choices, they could only really implement what he was allowing them to do. One of the most outspoken uh, members of his staff, Deputy DA John Hatami, has been a yes. rock star. Mm -hmm. And uh, John and I He's spoke making, and him and I have been in contact, actually. It's great. It's fantastic. And he and I have been in contact and he'll be a guest on the show uh, sometime very soon. Um, right. In fact, he was going to be a guest uh, oh, about two months ago or, or maybe uh, six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But he said, Mark, I'm sorry. I just just starting trial for and God forgive me for getting the young man's name. Who was I tortured think it and was murdered. Uh, Avalos? Uh, uh, yeah, something like that. Yes. And this he was, won. I think, I think he that won also today. came out. Yeah. He won today. And uh, he put these two monsters. We'll find out what the sentence is. I, yeah. You know, I, to me, of course, it should be the death penalty. I'm sorry, torture, murder a child. I mean, what, what, what more can you do that's deserving of the death penalty? But it's California. So, yeah. um, uh, we're stuck with what we have, but we'll find out. But he is, he, this is a man who understands what his obligation is to the public. And again, when I say this, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about prosecuting. That simply means holding people accountable based on what the law says. That you don't have the ability to say, oh, I don't like that law or that one is too harsh or that one's not. You don't have that ability. Your job is to prosecute the law. I'm not a lawyer, but I've been in a lot of courtrooms and, and, and understand the adversarial process. Same thing on a defense attorney. Their job is to defend their client. That's fine. But we have a man in office who's not doing that. We do have men and women in office in, in, in their job who are doing that, and they're doing that in spite of what their boss encourages and tries to force them to do. John and Tommy is one of those men. I cannot mm -hmm. wait to have him on the show, but yeah. he's putting these two monsters. I mean, my God, the mother of the child and her boyfriend 
who carried out who carried out some of the most heinous crimes against yeah. a child you can imagine. So kudos to John, not only for prosecuting the law, but being but being big enough to go on the air, to go public, and to denounce yeah. what George Gascon is doing to that to that office. I give him props and I wish him the best. And I'm so glad that he actually brought this to a great conclusion today in Absolutely. court. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He's I've I've learned a lot from him, even in just watching his interviews and um, you know, doing my research um on what the current uh deputy district attorneys are saying. Um, and I learned a lot from him. Yes. Well, you know, we all we all have. I listen to him a lot on talk radio, and uh I'm sure that this since this trial is just about over, we have a sentencing part that'll come. But uh, he'll be back out in the public uh, view here a little more. Janine, let me let me ask you this uh, as we kind of wind things down here. Uh, first of all, it's 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 just been a pleasure to talk with you. Um, I think everybody uh, listening to this is going to gain strength to say, you know what, if this woman can be the way that she is and carry herself the way she does, you know, what what challenges in life do I have compared to this? So God bless you for that. Is there anything uh, or any place that our listeners and viewers can go to uh, to support you? I, and I want you to be I want you to be generous to yourself. Is there anything that we can do financially or otherwise support you and your family or the uh, family of Officer Santana? Any place that we can go to do that? So um, right now, all of our you know. Um, donation opportunities have closed because they do have time limits on them. Um, but if you're somebody that would like to follow our story, I do have an Instagram page open. Um, it's Coretta's pride five, six, five. Um, and it just is giving updates and, uh, information in regards to our case and our situation, um, to just continue to try and bring awareness. So, um, that's all we're doing right now. You know, um, at the end of the day, we're not asking for anything, but to be heard, um, and to fight for change, to get these criminals off the street, because, uh, it was my husband this time, but it could be your mother next time. It could be your sibling next time. Uh, it could be your child, um, by somebody who should have been in jail. Janine Perez, you're a rock star. You're a rock star, and uh, I'm going to say that to everybody who uh, I interact with uh, and have a chance to talk to about you. Um, Thank you. We did meet, uh, so last year, our charity, uh, the Leo Project, we were able to donate uh, to your family and uh, to the family of Officer Santana. Uh, so if you listeners want to help us to continue to help people like uh, Janine, please go to uh your Leo project, your Leo project.org. Uh, if you take this show seriously and you believe in what we're doing, help us to help those people who are making the ultimate sacrifice like Janine, so many others across the country. Janine, God bless you. I look forward to talking with you and uh, buying lunch and just catching up and uh, you take care of your family. And we'll have you on again as things progress with the mess we have in LA County. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. Good night.